everybody. This is, uh, welcome back. This is Father Chris Rodriguez from Trinity Episcopal Church. We are here in the studio today uh, on Thursday, wrapping up our, ser- our series on the screw tape letters. We um, are visited this morning by a guest, Father Ainsley. I'll get to him in a minute. We're, it was St. Peter was there last week, now it's you. So I guess... Well. Hey. I can't live up to that. You, you take what you can get, right? Any port in a storm. So anyhow, we are here live. And uh, if you have any questions, as before, you are invited to uh, put them on the website there. There's a little section for comments. There's also a number you can text. You've got the phone for the text, right? Or someone has the number for the text? Yep. Okay. If you text a question in or a comment, we will do our best to address those. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and begin. So how about if we start in prayer, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for bringing us here together uh, virtually and here in the studio. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of the opportunity to study this book. We pray, Lord, that its words would seep into our souls, that we would see ourselves in its pages, and that we would always learn more and more to lean on the grace and the love of Jesus Christ who died to save us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so before we get ripping on screw tape letters, I want to introduce, uh, of course, you know Father Gritter, who is uh, stage left here, I guess you'd say, and then Father Ainsley, Matt Ainsley, is the rector of All, Sa- all Souls Church in Orlando. That's pretty much all I know about that, so I'm going <laughs> to let you tell us a bit about that, but I know Father Ainsley uh, has, is a, a, a running a church plant in Orlando, which is a cool thing for an Episcopalian, so Father Ainsley, why don't you tell us about what you're working on? I will. Thanks, cool. guys, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I am the prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church. Perspective. Pers- once we're a, a mission, we're a church plant right now. Once we form officially as a mission, then I'll drop the perspective. That's, a, that's kind of a mouthful to say. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a lot. And, and it's a church plan of the Episcopal Diocese of Central Florida. Okay. We were planted by the Church of the Ascension Orlando, and we're out in a new community called Horizon West, which is in southwest Orange County. It used to be uh, all orange groves, and now it's well on its way to having 100,000 people. We had our first service uh, just in November of 2019. So we're a baby church, and in our infancy, we went through the whole COVID-19 thing, and the Lord has been uh, faithful and good to us. Uh, but we're, we're really excited about uh, this, this church and bringing the gospel to a new community. Uh, and the lay missionaries that we have as a part of our team mm. uh, to expand the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven. Awesome. And the power of the Holy Spirit. We just had Pentecost, so <laughs> gotta throw, don't yeah, the Holy be Spirit Trinitarian. Out. Yeah, we're not gonna, it's not by our, our own efforts, That's for awesome. sure. Yeah, I'm, glad to hear, I'm glad you're here. Um, known you, of course, for several years. Um, and you don't typically hear about people launching churches in the Episcopal Church. You hear about them maintaining or declining. So to hear somebody actually having the courage and the guts and the, the willpower and the strength to do this, obviously empowered by the Holy Spirit, sure, it's just really cool. So I'm really glad you're here to join us today as we talk about the screw tape letters and have a little fun with that. And uh, I know this effort at All Souls has been many years in the making, and uh, I'm really glad you're here to join us today. So what's it like yeah. to start a church? Is it, it's got to be just... You know, it started out a little bit like the story of Jonah. It wasn't something I necessarily would have signed up for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just evident that the Lord was calling you to do it. And you just, you take it a day at a time. And I just, I try to have fun with it. And my mentality is when God calls you to do something, he's going to equip the call. That's he's right. not going to leave us out in the cold. Right. Uh, and, and God has provided just every 
step of the way. Mm. Sometimes in the 11th hour, yeah. which can give you an ulcer, <laughs> <laughs> but just provided every step of the way and really blessed us again with a great, with a great team of people. And, and the church has, has grown every day from the day we've started it. And just really thankful for all the different brothers and sisters throughout the diocese and really across the church that have come around us to help mm-hmm. go for it. I find it really exciting. I bet it's got to be. Just it, it's really neat. I think to see you know we get to be in on the ground level of this thing, and you know hopefully one day we build a building and uh, we'll have a cemetery, and then they'll bury me out back somewhere. <laughs> or if I'm if I'm a really good rector, maybe under the altar. Under the, <laughs> under the altar. <laughs> In, in one of those marble, sarc- yeah, yeah. Humility is a virtue, Father. <laughs> That's I'm, why I'm I was just, planning on being out back. You know, the the, fr- the furthest plot from the nave. <laughs> That's true. That's really awesome. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Yeah, and uh, I know your leadership there has been very well received and just exemplary. So good work, and I'm yeah, glad you're with thanks us. Thanks for today. having me. Sure Appreciate thing, man. you guys. Awesome. And hope your kids enjoy Vero Beach for the week. Uh, oh, they will. Days. Yeah. How could you not? Sorry, about, sorry about the rain, but uh, that's we'll work on that. We'll pray that away. We'll pray it away. All right. So onward and upward. Today we're going to talk about uh, texts, uh, letters thirty and thirty-one, and we may, if we have the time, dive into the screw tape proposes a toast, which is pretty meaty. Uh, may not have the time for that, but we'll do our best. So before we dive into letter number thirty. Um, I'll read the review here, unless you'd like to. Why don't you read it, Father? Would you like All to? Right, I'll jump in. Yeah, All the, right. Uh, so again, discussion questions, which you can find on our website. Uh, if you want to download them or look at them with me, we're in letter 30. And a brief description. Uh, in this letter, screw tape gold or wood, uh, as his attack on the patient's courage has failed. Although the patient felt like a coward during an air raid, he did his duty anyway. Mm. Uh, Wormwood is reminded that there is no mercy or consideration in hell and therefore must bring results. Screwtape suggests planting false hope in order to exploit the patient's weariness. Mm. He also suggests using the reality of death around him to keep him from spiritual mindedness. Hmm. It's, it's a pretty full letter and there's a lot going on. There's there. a lot going in here. Indeed there is. The first thing, just to jump on that, yeah. um, first thing that kind of stuck out to me is actually in the beginning. I feel like I don't know if this is your experience with screw tape letters so far, but each time at the beginning, there's this kind of little, you know, little nuanced statement, and then it jumps into the bulk of the letter. But that first paragraph is always so substantial for me. Uh, what I want to pull from that is he said, um, talking about the patient, screw tape is, he says, he's been very frightened mm. and thinks himself a great coward and therefore feels no pride. But he has done everything his duty demanded and perhaps a bit more. Mm. And I, you're thinking about that. We've been talking throughout the series about the different virtues that, um, you know, that we kind of celebrate now versus those that we may have used to lift up. Yeah. And I don't hear a lot of talk about duty and our responsibility of even civic duty. You mm-hmm. could think about that duty as, as a Christian believer. Uh, courage, duty, and obedience almost seem to be forgotten virtues. Mm. And so um, I don't know if you all see that. Maybe I'm, that's a poor view you know, poor read of the culture where we are right now but this idea of just getting in there and doing your duty uh maybe contrasted to you know pretending to do something but blasting it out to everybody as if you are doing your duty hmm. uh, i mean if you all I mean, what do you think about the idea of christian duty and, and 
our pull towards that virtue. Boy, I think for a lot of people it sounds like an archaic idea, duty, right? Mm -hmm. Duty and honor, it sounds like, okay, what does that even mean for a lot of people? I, I think though, you're onto something I think which is important. And the idea of duty and courage, I mean, they're, they're, they're very similar ideas, right? I mean, duty is what you're called to do and courage is the willingness to do it uh, when things are difficult or are dangerous. And so I think one of the things we've forgotten is that courage is actually, courage is not the lack of fear, right? Mm -hmm. Courage is being fearful, and this is a, somebody had this quote somewhere, uh, courage is being fearful and doing it anyway, mm -hmm. you know? And I think most people don't do the, forget the do it anyway part, the duty part, right? That courage, mm -hmm. duty is knowing what you're called to do, and maybe that's part of the problem. People don't know what it is they're called to do, right? But once you are called to do something, do what you're expected to do by God or whomever, whatever you are, whatever role you're serving, and then having the courage to actually execute where you're called to, even when it's difficult and hard to do. And uh, I think that is, um, I do think people admire it, but I think it's an outdated concept for a lot of people. That I don't know why. Mm. I have to ask my, my uh, younger colleagues here what they think. There's definitely an allergy to duty. And I think some of it has to do with if you, if your heart's not in it, meaning you're not, you don't feel like you should do a particular thing at a different time, then it's not authentic. If you do something that you know you should do mm. when uh, you don't feel like doing it, then you're, you're being inauthentic and that all um, good works that are pleasing to the Lord are, are spontaneous and and it's also I think um, maybe filtering some uh, the Protestant Reformation filtered through uh, existentialism uh, and being your authentic self. I think you get this idea of well, if if you're doing something out of duty, that's that's works righteousness. When I, if, but if you go beyond a cursory reading of scripture. I actually think if you even do a cursory reading of scripture, just even read it hastily, mm. it's obvious that as Christians, there's things that we have to do. I mean, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord right. and not do what I say? Right. And so Jesus is our Lord and our King. And so what does that make us? His subjects, but more than his subjects, his sons and daughters. Right. And so we do have responsibility being a part of God's royal family. Mm -hmm. To do what he tells us to do. Absolutely. Yeah, which is where it, the It's not optional. <laughs> I mean, if we only obeyed the Lord when we felt like it, we wouldn't be obeying him very often. It wouldn't be obedience. It would be, <laughs> it would be an excuse, right? And I'll speak for myself. Well, I'll speak for you too. <laughs> well, there's a difference between yeah. living according to your beliefs and according to your feelings, right? Hypocrisy is when you lay your beliefs aside and let your feelings kind of pull you along and, 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 you know, to wherever they go. Uh, children do that very well. You know, yeah. toddlers re react and overreact and aren't principled in the ways that they approach uh, Christian duty and discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, and so, you know, staying in line with that is incredibly important. And then this idea of doing everything your duty demanded and perhaps a bit more. There's this, uh, this verse, uh, Matthew 541 in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is talking about you know, what, what does it look like to live ethically as a Christian, what are Christian ethics, basically? And he says, you know, if anyone would force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Right. That, is doing, that is doing your duty and a little bit more. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I think, I wonder if C.S. Lewis pulled this quote from Andrew Carnegie. Uh, Carnegie's quote is, do your duty and a little more, and the future will take care of itself. You know, and if you know the story of Andrew Carnegie, you know, he 
by far the richest man in America right. uh, in the 19th century. And he ended up giving $350 million away during the course of his lifetime, which today would be, I, have, I had to calculate it, $80 billion. Just mm. gave it away, mm. uh, which, is un, which is unbelievable and unheard of. But there's mm -hmm. that idea. Again, you, you've got the duty that you do, and you, and you, take, you hold on to that, and you go that extra step. Yeah, and, I, and it maybe, the, maybe some, uh, to step back a second, the idea of duty implies, like you were both saying, the idea of duty implies or begs the question of who are you accountable to, right? So if you're accountable just to yourself, then the idea of duty is absurd, or it's based on sure. your own feelings. If you are accountable to the Lord, then your sense of duty comes from what he tells you to do, right? What scripture demands. Yeah, so, good. Yeah. All right. The next, the next thing that stuck out to me, and I don't know if there's anything that uh, really appealed to you all, but the enemies, uh, this is another quote, it, and it kind of shows the difference between the idea of justice, like God's idea of justice, and the idea of justice in hell. Uh, it says, the enemy's idea of justice uh, is that your opportunities and intentions should be taken into account. The justice of hell is purely realistic and concerned only with results. Hmm. And you know, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, you know, we're all, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, but you know, there's, there's a lot going on right now. You know, I, should, as, I should say that. Even as we're sitting it's here and, 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 you know, speaking about it, the, the marches and the protests about George Floyd and, um, and all the various issues surrounding it. Hmm. And, you know, there's, I've seen, I've seen something though in this from some of my Christian colleagues that surprises me, and it's, it's the idea that it doesn't matter the means in which we affect change as long as change is affected. Basically, the bottom line is that you know, justice is purely realistic and concerned only with results. And I, I would say, well, actually the Christian idea is, is the manner in which, the mode in which we mm -hmm. seek to bring about change. Um, and so, again, I don't want to, I don't want to go too, down, too far down that rabbit trail, but it is something for us to pay attention to. You know, Christianity isn't something that's based just on what's the outcome of what you're doing. It's, it's you know, trust God with the outcome and, and live in the way that Christ has called you to live. Mm -hmm. Does that, I mean, does that... Yeah, okay? hell says the ends justify the means, oh. right? Whatever it takes, you do it. It's Friedrich Nietzsche, re mm -hmm. re retooled, essentially. Sure. Or what Christianity says is, no, just do the right, th do the right thing, duty, and trust the Lord to work it out, right? We are not responsible, as far as I can tell as a Christian, as a priest, I'm not responsible for the results of my ministry. I'm called to minister and do my duty, what the Lord calls me to do. The results are in his hands. It's not really my job, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, I, like here at Trinity Church, I do the best I can, I preach the gospel, uh, I serve my people, but the growth or the change or the any of that is, is up to the Lord and his will. It's not up to me to execute those things. Whereas hell says, no, 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 the ends, what you need to achieve, you do whatever you gotta do to get to that. I guess that's probably a different way to look at it. Uh, First Corinthians 3, 6, right? I plant, Paul's saying, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Yep. And there's, there's, there's a humility in the sense of, of um, Hmm. Not taking the burden that we shouldn't take, you know, when we wear the stoles and we take on, we take on the yoke of what it is to be a, a Christian minister, there's this concept of you are carrying a burden forward, but you, you don't want to stand in God's place and carry his burden. Like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be, stand in his place as mediator, you don't want to stand in his place as savior. 
Right. You know, like like your place is not to, to shoulder that full weight. So in the context of the church, when someone comes to you, it's like I'm not responsible for your salvation, um, but I am responsible for integrity and preaching the gospel and, you know, walking alongside you as, I, as I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not know this, but when a priest puts a stole on, the stole is a piece of, I should have brought one, I didn't think of it. A stole is a piece <laughs> of fabric. You got one handy? I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't have <laughs> uh, That's right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, a stole is a piece of fabric that goes over your neck this way. You guys have seen us wear them when um, we put them on. And uh, a stole actually is symbolic of the yoke that a, an, it put over the, the neck of an ox to pull a cart. So when you put a stole on, you're taking on the yoke of, the, of basically pulling the cart, the church with you, the people of God with you. And one, an old tradition of the church that was shown me by a, uh, a priest friend of mine who's now dead, Don, uh, Don Gross, may he rest in peace. You, uh, you kiss, the, there's a cross on the back of the stole, you kiss it, you don't like smooch it, but you kind of <laughs> oc- oculate, you just touch your lips to it. And he would touch his lips to it and say, the glorious burden, and put it over his shoulder. I always mm-hmm. loved that, because the idea is here you are, taking on the burden of the, the ox cart, you're, push, you're pulling, the, pulling the people of God with you, uh, but it's in humility and it's yeah. in, in trust, trusting in God's, in God's strength. So anyway, that's my liturgical minute for the day. <laughs> Anyhow, anything for the, the group, Father? Well, this in some way connects to the first study question, which is two-part. You know, what's the difference between how God treats his followers and Satan treats his demons? What are their relationships based on? Right. Well, God, and to, I guess, loosely quote Wormwood, you know, he's trying to turn these animals into saints, into God's lowercase uh, g, you know, to make them, now I'm quoting Peter, partakers of the divine nature. And... Well, they're doing precisely the opposite. They're, the demon's relationship to the great tempter, to Satan, is purely utility. Right. Help me win the war. God's trying to turn them into saints. We're trying to turn these filthy animals into food. Into food, yeah. I lo- I've actually, I'm glad you <laughs> kind of riff on that for a minute. One thing I have in my notes here, it's, um, let me get, my, get back up a second. On the end of the first paragraph of letter number 30, uh, it says, bring us back food or or be food yourself. And isn't it, I never thought about this until about 20 minutes ago, actually. Uh, the idea of this, um, you know, the, the Christian goal of God, God is a God who loves us, right, and desires our welfare, right? So to contrast love with food as, as the end goal of the being in question here, right? Is it, is it love is self-giving and self-sacrificial. Uh, food is consumptive. It's kind of fascinating, right? So. And so these, so hell sees humanity, us, as something to be consumed and used and, and violated if necessary. God sees humanity as something to be, uh, to, to die for, right? To love mm-hmm. and to put, put effort into. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. I've never thought of a contrast between love and food before, but uh, in oh, terms yeah. of, you know what I mean? In terms of how, how, how the spiritual side of how God or hell sees humanity. Yeah, absolutely. So, any, any comments from the studio? One comment that we've been getting is that my microphone is hard to hear, so uh, I'm going to be holding it like this, or I'm just going to be getting really close <laughs> yeah, to Father Yeah, there you go. Maybe not. talking right into his. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll see. And if you keep having trouble, I appreciate your comments, by the way, and thank you for letting us know as technical things progress. Did you get them up, the comment popped up on there? Uh, yes, the comment, the, they've been text 
people, but again, it's, the phone number does work because I'm receiving your text messages. So oh, that's cool. thank you for doing that. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Um, one more thing, too, that he really he get, get, gets into in this letter is this idea of what the world is really like. And I thought this was really, this is a fascinating idea that, that Screwtape is trying to, Wormwood is trying to encourage, Screwtape is encouraging Wormwood to remind the patient that what real, real life is not about goodness, it's about bad. Right? He talks about how that, that make them believe that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's at the end of the letter, um, here it says here, so your patient properly handled will have no difficulty in regarding his emotion at the sight of human entrails as re revelation of reality and his emotion at the sight of happy children as fair weather or mere sentiment. Isn't that something? So, and isn't that true? That people, we tend to see grit and, gr and grime and suffering as real, but that when things are good, we see it as wishful thinking. You think that's true? Even in our own culture? We're on the same page because I highlighted that, no ver that, ve that very sentence there. Right here. <laughs> All right. Take it away, boys. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I never thought of that. I mean, it's, I mean this whole book, uh, if you can call it this, it's a, it's a brilliant psychoanalysis in the true sense, not, not in the modern sense of the, his understanding of how the human person works mm -hmm. is just incredible. And yeah, it's um, when it comes to good things, it's like, oh, we need hard empirical data. You know, the only real knowing is test tube knowing if, if we can, it can be discerned with the senses. Right. But when it comes to bad stuff, it's like, well, yeah, that, that's all real. That's real. Even though it, it's not necessarily empirically proven. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that's, that's, you know, beyond the physical world. I hmm. wonder why that is. I mean, you know, even as you're saying that, I'm thinking about what's going on right now with these protests and riots and so forth, you hear, you hear a lot of press about people burning things down and breaking into buildings and looting, all the bad stuff. But these stories of police officers kneeling down or in front of protesters, or you know, it was, I saw a picture this morning of a group of uh, riot cops with their gear, had laid all their shields down behind them, and was standing in front of the protesters to guard whatever it was, but they put their shields down as an act of humility, quite frankly, and vulnerability. You don't hear anything about that, you know? So everybody wants to highlight the bad and the, and the wickedness and the debauchery that's going on, but these little, these little elements of goodness that come through are dismissed as just sentiment or, you know. Or false. Uh, One of the narratives right now, as you've all probably seen, as you all probably seen, it's everywhere, is, um, you know, the idea that, oh, as soon as, as soon as the cameras are off, then they pick those back up and they start beating people. Many people are saying that. Or the other narrative happening right now is um, if you were to share something like reconciliation between police officers and protesters, you're actually, um, you know, you're actually going, you're basically not helping the cause at all because what you're doing is you're not helping to incite the necessary level of protestation that you know needs to achieve the end results. So the you're ends, not being helpful. The end is the just, idea, right. mm. um, you know. And and I, I just and I, again, like, who are we to judge those outside of the church? But I do hope that Christians understand the importance of the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's part of being ministers of the gospel is to is to seek good, not by you know, to seek reconciliation. Sorry, I didn't mean to go into this whole thing. No, to seek reconciliation with integrity. You know, those things must be together. You must be able to, to have integrity and to stand with integrity while at the same time seeking the good of the other. I mean, it's, right. you know, God willing, that'll be part of Trinity Sunday is how does, how does 
the Trinity work together for the sake of one another while maintaining the integrity of the persons. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then to that idea, yeah, again, this idea of what's really real, you know, I'm, it's cynicism, right? It's this distrust mm -hmm. of your motives when you are being lifted up into a space of um, even even emotivism. You know, even even if I'm, I'm emotional mm. when I'm worshiping the Lord, there's there's you know there can be that negative cynical side that's like, well, is it just this or is it the music that's taking you? To, you know, and and it's mm -hmm. you know, and so I think I think being aware of and calling calling that cynicism out for what it is is something that's you know helpful to us yeah uh, we did have a comment okay cool uh, that brought us that brings us back to uh when our discussion on courage mm -hmm. and duty uh the comment is uh if duty is what but if duty is what you should do and courage is what helps you to do it are we not back to humility does it not take courage and humility to do one's duty and the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Next right? question. It's a resounding, yeah. No, yeah. it's a resounding yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's through courage and humility that we're able to live out Christian virtue. Yep. And the humility to know, and I think it comes back to the question of where, to whom are you duty bound, right? Or yeah. what are you duty bound? That's, that's the bigger question. So to be duty bound to the Lord requires, certainly requires humility, right? Um, and, and so forth. So people that are duty bound only unto themselves, I would say that doesn't come from a place of humility. It comes from a place, by definition, of pridefulness. Yeah. And, and speaking about humility, you know, there's a lot of people conflating the idea that they're, they're, the, the righteousness of the cause that they support is equivalent to their personal righteousness. And that's a, that's a dangerous thought. Mm -hmm. You might have the right set of beliefs, but that does not make you a righteous person for having them. Right. The set of beliefs that you hold, the intellectual sense that you, the truth claims, right, that you intellectually assent to, doesn't make you a righteous person. In fact, you, you know, in fact, having the right claims and going about them the wrong way can be can be incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's something I've been seeing in people. As long as I as long as I have the right ideas, then therefore I also am righteous. Right. And it's like no humility. Humility is what takes that. Humility is what helps bifurcates those two things. And, and separate them in a way that's healthy for us to move forward. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. That's good. Yeah, what do you think? Well, there's definitely a difference between knowing what a virtue is and knowing what's virtuous and being a virtuous person, like actually possessing the virtues, whether the cardinal virtues or the theological virtues, uh, which would be faith, hope, and love. Right. Uh, it's, not, it's not just, it's a little bit different than what you're saying, but Salvation is not just like an intellectual assent to, well, here's the right ideas. I can, ch I can check these boxes. I mean, James, James says in his epistle, you know, essentially the demons have pretty good theology. We see this in the screw tape right. letters. That's right. They have a pretty good understanding of how things work. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's why James says faith without works is dead. You, you believe in one God. You do well. The demons also believe they, and shudder. And they shudder. That's right. Yeah. So, again, how you treat people and your duty is... Mm -hmm. Just as important. Yeah, All right. Uh, how about um, how about question number three here? Uh, what type of attack does Screw Tape recommend when an intellectual attack fails to make any headway? I think it is this. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's an attack on on you know the feelings that you've experienced with God, like like that oneness. I mean. For many Christians, you've had moments where you have felt God's presence. 
and it's been and it's transformative. Mm -hmm. And then and you've seen this over and over again, right? When people go through extreme periods of suffering, it's where are you? You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's that's the consistent cry mm -hmm. that we see uh, as priests of the church across the board when things go go south, Absolutely. and to the point where you start to doubt the experiential reality that you've had, you know, the, the experiential moment that you've had with God. And so, and so, you know, you can attack the intellect, but you can also attack those, those transformative moments mm -hmm. to have you try to, you know, misremember the past and question, did that really happen? Right, right. Is he really that for you? Did he really say that to you? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's a really difficult And I think, again, First Peter 3.15, right? Always be prepared to offer testimony for the hope that's in you. I think that's such a key, I've said this, ad nauseum here, but I mean, it's such a key verse because it's what the scriptures are telling us is be, be mindful and remember the past and how the Lord has worked in your life in the past. Remember back when you were going through X, Y, Z, and you can now look back and see how the Lord got you through it, yeah. right? Remember that. Always be mindful yeah. of that because that will, you can now use that memory either for your own current struggles of the day or to be an encouragement to somebody else. That's a key. Yeah, we, ha we have to raise Ebenezer's, you know, one of five, you know, you guys can just not invite me back, but one of my, one of my, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> one of my, one of my pet peeves is the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, uh, sometimes in uh, modern iterations, no offense to your church if you've changed the lyrics, the original lyrics I can, was, I can, I can guarantee was, we have not changed was, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And Ebenezer was a, a stone monument when the Lord would do something, particularly in the Old Testament, if, um, he showed up, uh, his presence was known somewhere, or they, they won a great, Israel won a great victory. They would set up a monument to, to God's faithfulness, essentially. And my pet peeve is that uh, in the newer versions of the hymn, it's, you know, here I find my greatest treasure. And well, why mm. did they change the lyric? Well, no one knows what an Ebenezer is. I'm like, well, you could just tell them just in tell five them. seconds, they'll know. That's right. We just did. You, know? <laughs> you just, in fact, you just did that very yeah. thing. You know, my, my six-year-old daughter, know, you know, I can tell her in a second what quick in the dead means. Well, that right. means living, the living quick in spirit. Right. Uh, and, and so it, it is important. I, I, I totally agree with you that we remember the faithfulness of the Lord. We recall it in Scripture, His faithfulness to God's people. But even in our life, there's been so many times in my own life where I'll be praying about something to the Lord and then he answers that prayer in the affirmative. It's like essentially what I said, oh, thanks God. Yeah. And then I'm, I'll come back to the genie, rub the lamp when I need right, something again. Right. But there's not a sense of reflecting on how God has been faithful uh, in our lives. Because sometimes the answer is no. Yes. Or, or wait. It was for That's Paul. That's right. Look, it was three times, take away this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. That's right. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. My right. strength is made perfect. Our Lord weakness. himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's, you know, that's interesting because we talk about prayer and disappointment, experiencing God's presence. One of the things that, um, and what our expectations are of that, like what, what, are our, what are our rights that God's given us and how do we hold on to those? And if we, we feel like we're losing out, mm -hmm. we get this sense of injury. I mean, that's one thing mm -hmm. Scripture talks about. And this is whenever, whatever men expect, they soon come to think they have a right to. Mm. The sense of disappointment can, with very little skill on our part, be turned into a sense of injury. You know, my wife went to uh, a restaurant with a friend and, and brought home a meal for me. And I was you know, really excited about it. And she's like, you know, remember to put that in the fridge so it doesn't get left out overnight. And so, of course, 
You I didn't. don't. Right. And I wake up the next day, and it, you know, like to me, it's a grievous injury where I have this expect, you know, expected thing, and it's like, well, I, you know, somebody should have put it. You know, it's like it's like this whole, you know, this, it's just this absurd thing. But it's like you know, easy come, easy go is a much better way of looking at that. That's right. Than um, than having the sense of the sense of injury, and so I think it's important that we pay attention to what we're claiming as a right, in the in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. You know, like do I claim, uh, and from whom? We're claiming our rights in the eyes of God. I mean, I think drawing those things and making those distinctions clear yeah. is really important. You know, reward, <laughs> praise, affection, respect, time, your health, safety. You know, I've, I have young children, so I complain about this a lot, but, you know, my right to eight hours of sleep per night. You if know, not, if these not nine, we stake flags on, we just have to be really careful about. And... You're laughing. Wait, no, I just think we've seen nothing yet, yeah. brother. I can tell you that. <laughs> we probably have to realize, like, That's we right. don't have any of those rights before yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Because um, a sense of entitlement that God, God has promised us that we're going to see Him face to face, which we're going to get to in the, in the next in the next chapter, uh, to make us partakers of the divine nature. And in, in this present age. A sense of entitlement of, you know, God wired, give me this. Well, if we read the book of Job, very unsatisfying ending if you're reading that <laughs> carnally. Right. Because yeah. Job basically wants to know why all this has happened. And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Basically, I'm God. You're not. You don't get to know. Well, that's, and that's a great point. <laughs> right because, now. Because that, to that Job point, knows now. He knows now. He's encouraging all of us. His <laughs> life was of such great value and his suffering yeah. encourages us in our suffering. It sure does. And I love, I love Job, too. In the beginning of the book, <laughs> Job's a great book. And uh, his, his line, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, both in prosperity and in suffering, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, better than his wife's comment, you know. Curse God and die. Curse God, you stupid man. (laughs) Curse God and die. Yes, Satan left her alive for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think to be a source of discouragement for him. Let's maybe not not go there this (laughs) afternoon, Father. You know, it it is important. Because, yeah, we are made in the image of God. We we bear the image of God. Yep. Um, But I do, but I, I want this actually, I'm curious about this, and I wonder what you all think. Okay. Do you think that you can forfeit your, do you think it's, it's possible to live in such a way that you forfeit the rights that you would have as, you know, being made in the image of God? And do you, if so, do you then get those rights back through adoption by the Spirit? Let's just leave that one as a, yeah, it's a biggie. question. Uh, that's a biggie. My gut reaction is yes. Next question. Yeah, so, next question. <laughs> uh, how about letter number 31? Um, the patient has been killed in an airstrike and finally shook off the demonic influence of Wormwood. This is a great chapter. Wormwood bore witness to the patient's transformation in the presence of God, even as he went back, was cast back into darkness, and to Screwtape, who was looking forward to punishing Wormwood for his failure. I I think one thing which is this, so basically the the patient we've been following all along, he is killed in an airstrike in London uh, during the war, and... Uh, clearly, the man, we've, we've, we've seen this a few times, where this man is living in a sense of fear, and of course, if you remember back to, I think it was letter number 29 or 28, Wormwood was all excited about the man being scared, 
And screw tape said, no, 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 you don't want them scared. You don't want them scared because then they'll start to think about things bigger than themselves and ultimate questions. You don't want them scared at all. You want them, you want them to live a nice, long life into middle age. We talked about that last week. So, but this man, actually, he is killed in an instant. Bam! And so then the question, bec- so then the question becomes, what does that mean? I, I think, um, look at this, what, this is a, a paragraph three. This is uh, Screwtape saying to Wormwood, basically lamenting the fact that, uh, that this man got away. Uh, the more one thinks about it, the worse it becomes. He got through so easily. No gradual misgivings, no doctor sentence, no nursing home, no operating theater, no false hopes of life. Sheer instantaneous liberation. That's awesome. It's totally contradict, contrary to what the world would say, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Liberation. So, so in other words, you know, one thing which, um, and many people deal with this, right? We see people die either slowly or gradually, right? Or my, my own father died last year in a nursing home. It was a quick death, thanks be to God. But the idea is when you, you drag it out, it's like we talked about last time, it has more and more time for the devil to operate. And so that's why screw tape being upset that this man was taking young it's just fascinating to me. Hmm. So, um, and you know, part of that that really opened it up for me too, Father, was, mm-hmm. um, and I had to pause on this for a long time because yeah. it just hit me in the gut. Um, there was a sudden clearing of his eyes, was there not? As he saw you for the first time and recognized the part you had had in him and knew that you had it no longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, recognized the demon. Yeah. yeah. And you know, there was, there was a part... Um, yeah, I think yeah, it's the great divorce mm-hmm. where the, you know where there's a man who's being urged on, you know, but he but he's got this this uh, lizard, this red lizard on his shoulder, and a uh, demon. Yeah and, yeah, and the angel's like, you know, let me smite that for you, and the guy's like, oh no, you know, and, and the lizard's <laughs> like, you know, the lizard's like, you know, like don't let him kill me. He was too hot. He's gonna hurt me. You know, he's you know, like just basically just doing this up, and then finally, and 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 he doesn't have any affection towards it. It's just there, and he can't imagine what it's like without it. But then mm. finally. You know, he's allowed the demons. Uh, you know, the angels allowed to kill it, um, and it's not. Yeah, it's not actually a demon. What it just is is whatever it is that was holding him back, and it transforms into, you know, this, this magnificent horse. And he, you know, whatever he, he he transforms, and they ride it up into, into heaven and glory. But it's it's just this concept of recognizing those those you know being able to look back at your life on the influences spiritual, worldly, you know, your own sin, and and being able to just be free of that, have that weight lifted off of you and be born anew. You know, it's an amazing that, thought. It's an amazing mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, just to see the brokenness that followed you, that the hounds of hell that followed you your whole life and go, man, now I see it, you know? Or mm-hmm. that probably is more yeah. like it. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, this chapter in general, it's just, I mean, throughout the book, it's, it's amazing how aware Lewis is and just how naturally he can make even sort of oblique and opaque references to the classical philosophical tradition, to classical works of literature. I, th- I think he basically says, you know, shuffle off one's mortal coil, you know, That's I think right. uh, Screwtape writes that in there. Yeah. Uh, but then also the, the Catholic tradition of the church, the, the ancient church, and this idea of of seeing God face to face, it's very, it's very visual, and that in seeing Him face to face, we're transformed. Which you know, 
the fathers and Lewis, they're not getting this out of thin air, they're getting it from scripture. You know, where it's John, he says, we don't yet know what we are, but we know that when he appears, we will, um, we will be changed, right. for we will see him as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so that, that focus, which has been, I think to some extent, because we live in such a materialist age, that doesn't mean that we necessarily love money, but that we, even if we're Christians, sometimes we can kind of live as if all we see is all there is, instead of we were made for God mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to see him, mm-hmm. to know him, to be united to him. And that's what we're seeking. And then when we actually do see him, we become what he created us to be in full. It's an amazing idea. It's awesome. Yeah. I love here. And to that point, he says here, defe- uh, Screwtape says to Wormwood, defeated, outmaneuvered fool. He's addressing uh, Wormwood. This is paragraph number three or four. Did you mark how naturally, as if, if, as if he'd been born for it, the earth-born mm. vermin entered the new life? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's even, in, you referenced Job earlier, but you know, Job speaks about this in chapter 19. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's you know, capturing that, that, that Christian hope that we, all hold, that, you know, that we all hold very tightly or should be holding very tightly. Mm-hmm. Where, where, you know, where's my help, where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord and it's, it's seeking, you know, it's just, it's seeking him and his face. Incidentally, as a sort of side note, that part of that text is, is um, whom I shall behold and not as a stranger is read during the burial of the dead, the liturgy in the prayer book, as the priest walks into the church with the remains being either with the casket coming in behind or uh, with the remains coming in behind. That part of that is read in procession by the priest. It's a mm-hmm. great image, isn't it? That you come before the throne with this now dead human being, but their eyes behold. Uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It is. It, yeah. Um, one more, one more scriptural reference to sure. that. First um, Corinthians fifteen. You know, Paul's writing, "Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality." When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Mm. And again, that's, you know, that's that Christian hope that this man, the patient, is experiencing yeah. at the culmination of his life that has not been easy. Right. You know, you read the patient's life, that's not, you know, that's not easy. That's not something any of us would sign up for if we knew the trials and travails that he would go through, but but knowing the end, you know, it becomes entirely worth it for us. Hope does not, hope does not disappoint. Yeah. Right. I thought this was cool too. This is in paragraph five here. He's talking about um, the patient. Then uh, uh, let's see here. He's talking about the, the he's talking about the angels. Scripture's talking about angels, um, and it says here he the patient had no faintest conception till that very hour. I think this is paragraph five of how they would look, even, and even doubted their existence. Right? But when he saw them, he knew that he had always known them and realized 
what part each of them had played at many an hour in his life when he had supposed himself alone. It's not just it's the same idea mm -hmm. that would, everything will be kind of made clear and go, oh wow, so it was really you all along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and speaking about that spiritual reality, Father, and, and you know, we talk about that a lot here, mm -hmm. but uh, there are demons. You know, mm. I mean, this is a fictional account, but there are demons that, that, um, that we interact with in some sense. And they're, but yes. they're, also, they're also angels. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, I think, again, focusing on the negative, almost kind of making the negative the reality, like in the last that's a, chapter, that's a good the point. positive, the unreality. That's right. You know, it, there's a reminder of the fact that we have angels. You know, I mean, one of the, you know, my son uh, is afraid of shadows right now, right? So he's coming into my room frequently because he's kind of discovered the shadows are there and shadows are scary. And, you know, we try to do this exercise, you know, where we pray, but then I stand kind of in front of his nightlight and show the outline of daddy's giant shadow on the wall, which is bigger than anything in his entire room. And I'm like, buddy, the angels that are with you are bigger than daddy's shadow. Right. Like, you're okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, like they, they, are, they are here to serve as your protection. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's something that I think, even as adults, that's important for us to remember because we, we still get scared and we still are confronting things that are, you know, beyond well beyond what we're able to solve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably maybe one of the biggest benefits of reading this book now, is even more so in 2020 than in Lewis's day, you know, people can just sort of brush this stuff off, you know, a la Freud and Feuerbach, that, you know, God is mental projection, and the demonic is just, you know, we, in the way we say, you know, he has his demons. That's just, well, he, he's got issues. He's got problems. Right. Not, not necessarily being open to the fact that there are sentient, sentient beings. beings right. uh, some that God has, even though we're made a little bit lower than the angels, we've been exalted above them in Christ. And now they, right. they minister to us, they minister on our, on our behalf. Um, to help us, and then there's also agents that are against, against us that us. want to poison our souls. Mm -hmm. And I think any human being, you can, I mean, a lot of people, I think your points are well taken. A lot of people will roll their eyes based upon this empiricist worldview that this can't be true. It's all psychological or sure. relational or whatever. But you know, I, I would submit, and this is true in my own heart, every human being knows that that's true. That there's something, there's something else out there besides the material. If you look at sure. every human culture that's ever lived, I mean, all different forms, believed in a spiritual realm of maybe it's yin and yang, where it's equal and opposing evil and sure. good forces, but there's always been a sense there's something else there. Like sure. Humans know intuitively, because we're created for this, that there are spiritual forces beyond just the material and sure. learned and psychic events. And, we've, and I think we, I think we want to not always accept that sometimes because it can be terrifying. Um, but uh, I think we all know it to be true. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, any comments, Father? Oh no. No, nothing. Um, is not the chapter for me unless you all have some other things on chapter thirty-one. Well, I, that's a great question here. How would you describe? Um, the patient, the patient's sudden clearing of the eyes, and have you experienced? Something similar. Anybody here? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to repeat. Okay, I'm going to. I've got a question in the audience, so I'll go ahead. But don't fear it. I mean, you have to. I mean, you have to. It's a no. Of course, it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, they're like they're like uh, they're like 
rats. I mean, they're annoying. They are vermin. And uh, I had a friend of mine who I won't say who it was, and you would know him anyway. But back in Red, another parish I served at one point, he said to me, you know, Father, he said, I got to tell you something. This was not in the confession, confessional. He said, I got to tell you something. Whenever I'm in church and I'm praying and I'm listening to your sermons, I get the most profane images in my mind and I can't get rid of them. And he told me what they were, and I thought, well, that's pretty, pretty wild. But to your, point, that, your, to your point, that I think the devil clearly puts things in our minds that are, it's almost kind of comical. If you, when you kind of get the hang of it after a while, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Leave me alone. You know, you know, you, you do. You know who he is, and sometimes it's just so incredibly obvious. You know, you're at church, and you get some, like, you get a thought that pops into your brain about some, a person or whatever, and you're like, oh, come on, just go, leave me alone. To your point, it's annoying. But yeah, is it, is it demonic? You, you, and that's, so is it a part of something else? I would say yes, but you also have, as a Christian, have the ability to cast it away. Well, I do. Yeah, well, then that's, that's how you deal with it. And they are, and again, Satan is not God's adversary, he's yours. So you have to always bear that in mind that God is way more powerful, infinitely more powerful than any satanic, demonic being that can influence you. A, to Father Matt's point, there are, there are angels that stand next to us that defend us, but then also all of these spiritual forces, all forces, period, human or spiritual, are under the, uh, the authority of God. So you, you don't have to really fear them. I mean, Jesus himself dealt with duked it out with Satan for 40 days in the desert, right? Who won? Christ won, but it was, but it was, it was, a, it was a fight, you know? So, yeah, there's, thanks there's, for making that point. That's, that's really, I'm glad you brought that up. Good. You can make two equal and opposite errors. One, this is whatever, it's just my psychology, there's no such thing. Or you can go to the other extreme where you begin to think and talk about Satan as if he's God's equal opposite. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. You can dismiss it altogether, or you can become one of those people who sees a demon behind every corner. Um, and they, they pray to Satan, meaning they rebuke him. They talk to Satan more than they talk to God sometimes. Right. Yep. Yes. That's, that's an interesting And we don't yeah, that's re re resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's right. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Right. So, but I think, I think nine, 90% of it is knowing what it is. <laughs> right? No, and, you're and right. And realizing that not all these things are mutually exclusive categories. So it's not sure. like, again, we're, we're spiritual and material beings right. in one. You know, sure. Like, like a, lot of these, a lot of these things are physical, material, and spiritual, That's et cetera. Right. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, I mean, if you think about it, in, all, in, in a sense, all, all illness of any variety at all is demonic at root. I mean, it's all part sure. of the fall. So, you know, trying to slice that, it's, is it spiritual or is it physical or is it medical? I think putting it in those sure. categories as much as we want to do that, I think that's really kind of an exercise in futility. Yeah. That it's just, like to your point, it, we just are a being and these things affect us. Yeah. Right? It, it's a both and. Cause it's a both and. You could be feeling depressed because you know, you ate a half a gallon of ice cream while you're watching Netflix, yeah. but then... <laughs> yeah. I just pulled that out of there. But then, yeah. you know, demonic forces could use that for you. You make bad decisions based on how you yeah. feel, because okay. again, we're, we're a, a psychophysical unity. That's exactly right. Psycho, 
physical unity. Yeah. That's awesome. I pulled that out of seminary. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't just make that up, I hope. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Any other comments in the studio? <laughs> so I, I will say uh, sort of the final parting, parting thoughts about the book. When I first read this book back, and share, and if anybody has anything you want to share as we conclude our series, I'd, I'd be welcome to hear them. Uh, one of the, I think I shared with you in the very beginning of the series, when I first read this book when I was in my mid-twenties, I remember reading the end of the book, putting the book down, and saying, Lord, I can't possibly, because all you see is this constant battle between Satan and the patient, and, and it's this spiritual warfare. And I remember, I remember very clearly, I remember laying on my bed, I closed the book, and I said, Lord, there's no way I can do this. And he said to me, that's the point. Right? And I think that's, if, if there's one thing you take away from this book, in my estimation, aside from all the really great nuance and psychology yeah. and all the just profundity of this book, which I find to be very helpful, the idea, the one takeaway for me, which actually got me started in this book, and actually started on my life as a Christian altogether, was to recognize that, A, this is a lot bigger than just me. Right? And secondly, I can't possibly do this on my own, but I don't have to. And that's, I think, the key to the whole book. You know, it's not about, you can, you can read this book and walk away dejected and destroyed and, and, as I was, highly stressed and confused. How do I, what do I do now? And the point is, you know what, Rodriguez, you really don't do anything. You just trust me and let me save you. And that's the point. So um, those are sort of my parting thoughts. Anybody have any comments on, on the book as a whole or anything you thought was helpful? No, I think I think, I think that's I think that's a great way to close it out, Father. I think you're absolutely right. It just points you to the cross. It does. So, anyhow, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I keep threatening to do a book study on Jekyll and Hyde. Maybe we'll do that in the fall. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Maybe we'll invite you back for that too. That'd be good. So, anyhow, thank you all for being here. Thank you, thank you. and online people that have joined us. Thank you, Alex, in the back, our our tech guy, keeping us all running smoothly. And thank you all for being here. Um, this concludes our series. And if you want to go back and rewatch any of these, of course. They will be, remain available on our website for your uh, convenience and to share them with friends who might find this to be interesting. So thank you, Father Ainsley, for being thank with us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, certainly. And uh, you want to close us in prayer? Yes, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Almighty God, we thank you for your servant, C.S. Lewis, and just the wisdom with which he writes. And Lord, we, we give you thanks and praise that as eager as eager and equipped as satan as demons are to uh, destroy our souls you are a hundred times infinitely more uh, eager and equipped to save us lord and that is your desire that uh, you're willing that none should perish but that should all should come to repentance lord and we thank you that you give us the grace uh, through your son jesus christ uh, by the spirit to become what you created us to be, image bearers, and those who will one day, uh, when we're raised from the dead, behold you face to face. Lord, we love you, we praise you. Uh, bless this church, bless the ministries of Father Chris.